Easter Sunday. It's not Palm Sunday, by the way. In case any of you thought it might be, it's Easter Sunday. For those of you who don't know, I, I got Palm Sunday wrong. I thought it was the week before Palm Sunday. So this church is an expert on Palm Sunday as I have preached two sermons on it. But today, it is Easter Sunday. And you know, most of us in life need a sense of hope during dark times. For the last two years plus, you know, we've been hoping for the end of the COVID pandemic. We've been hoping to see that it will go away. It's been dark times. I've been hoping to see family and friends in Wales. I haven't been back for two and a half years, but I'm going back next month. I am. I'm hoping to go back next month. And I'm looking forward to it. And you know that gives you strength, something to hope for. Hope can strengthen us. It can make us even feel better. Now, excuse me once again for bringing up another fictional character from Dickens. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mr. Micawber in David Copperfield. He is probably one of the funniest comedic characters in the whole of Dickens. And if you read David Copperfield, he is so much fun. He's more interesting than David Copperfield, for definite. And Macabre is a character, and what, he's very optimistic, very optimistic. He's always got something that's going to make him rich. And he speaks often in these words, he says, we will be provided for, everything will be okay, everything okay, and he's in huge debt. But it'll be okay, I will be all right. And he does, I think, end up in debtor's jail uh, for certain parts of it. But he's still optimistic, and his famous quote is, something will turn up. Something will turn up. It'll be okay. Of course, that's not enough. So when I'm speaking about hope, I'm not speaking about a Dickensian, macabre sort of hope, which is based on hope itself. Hoping to hope. Rather, hope must have a foundation. It must have a basis in faith. A basis, I'm sorry, in fact. This week, I was uh, looking back over my uh, teenage years and remembering the Reading Pop Festival of 1973. And I was there with my long hair and, hey man, you know, we're going to freak. This is perfect. This is so hippie-like. I know this is great. And girls, the dance you did, it was like being at Woodstock. It was great. It was just great. Well, it was it, better than Woodstock. Okay. It was good with all the flowers and, and whatever. And I, I, was, I was online and looking at um, a, a few things from, from that time. And uh, Rod Stewart and the faces... 
were heading up the second night. I remember it. And I saw them live there in 1973. And uh, one of the songs that Rod Stewart sang, he was known for, A Reason to Believe. A Reason to Believe. Some of you might have heard it. And it's this Easter. This Easter, it's a time to believe, but Easter gives us the reason to believe. The reason to believe. It is not just hope, but it is hope in something that has happened. And that, as you know, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ alive from the dead. Jesus, we believe, came back alive bodily from the dead. Now, some churches would argue, well, no, he didn't actually come back bodily. He sort of comes back in our hearts, comes back in our hopes and our dreams. And it sounds great, and everyone goes, oh, but they didn't mean that. If you read the evidence of people who were there, they weren't talking about someone maybe coming back in our dreams or anything like that. They were talking about someone they had encountered on that Easter morning and the weeks after. And that's the only evidence we have. The evidence is of a real encounter with the living Christ. Some people would say, well... Can you really believe that in nowadays? Well, I tell you this, the disciples believed it eventually. Hard to believe. Thomas, well, you know, he didn't want to believe to begin with. But they came to believe, and let me tell you one reason that they came to believe it. They came to believe it because they'd seen this Jesus bringing other people from the dead. Just a few weeks ago, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus isn't just another preacher. Jesus, they come to the conclusion that he is God's son. Who do people say that I am? He asked his disciples. And one of them, Peter, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. They had a reason to believe that he could come back alive from the dead. And the other reason, of course, was that they actually saw him after he had died. And Paul, writing in a passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you want to understand resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 is a, a standard passage. And in one verse, he speaks of first fruits. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Which means, first fruits means, What's happened to Jesus is going to happen to you as well. In other words, this is evidence, real evidence, that Jesus can do something in your life. You haven't just got to hope it'll happen. You've got a reason to believe. A reason to believe. We haven't got time to look at 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. But I encourage you to do it if you want to understand resurrection. Because... <laughs> People believe all sorts of things about life after death. All of us, worse luck, go to funerals. I go to too many. <laughs> but it's interesting what you hear at funerals when people speak of the deceased. Maybe it's a man who loves golf. And they say, well, now, 
he's playing golf in heaven getting shots in one and from cloud to cloud or whatever or he's looking down at us or now she is an angel now nice thoughts that's okay that's all right but it's not true there's no evidence for that at all nil if you're going to speak about life after death have evidence the resurrection is the evidence for the believer and I believe in resurrection. Let me tell you this. If you think and I believe that the heaven is on a cloud, well, I'm not going to that cloud. And I don't want to play a harp. So I know I'm Welsh. And I'm willing to have a go at it. And I think maybe some people will have a harp. But we're not going to become angels sprouting wings and flying from cloud to cloud. This is not biblical. This is not the biblical evidence. The first fruit is Jesus comes back alive from the dead bodily. And I believe we will have new bodies and restored heaven and earth, heaven being skies. We celebrate this weekend the foundation of our hope. We celebrate the cross on Good Friday. We celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Yet today, I don't want to speak specifically on that. And so you said, oh, what, what? why did you start? Well, you'll you see, you'll see. I want to note that, but that's not the main thing I want to say. Because what I want to say today is more about us being already resurrected that's it us being already resurrected in other words i want to convince you if you're a christian here today that you have been resurrected and now you think oh come on he's mad he's lost it send him back to wales quickly all right but i believe if you're a christian you've been resurrected let me prove it to you from the bible Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. Were. Were in the past. And then verse 5. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Do you get it? We were dead. We've been made alive. A Christian is someone who has had an inner resurrection, not just in the future, which will happen, but it's already happened in their soul, in their mind, in their will, in their inner self. And a key thought with Paul as he writes is uh, the fact that as a believer, you get united with Christ, and what happens to Christ happens to you. Listen to the, the reading we had earlier, uh, Romans 6.4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. In other words, resurrection for the believer is now as well as then. Something happens when you believe. When someone becomes a Christian, what happens 
is that something changes on the inside. Changes on the inside. Now, lots of my friends over the years have been Marxists. I have great conversations with them, really enjoy. And the conversations often continue when I go back to Wales. And if you're aware of Marx and his writings, well, Marx argues a little bit like this, that religion is the opium of the people. Here's the, the famous quote. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. In other words, Christianity is like taking a drug to help you get through life. It's not, it's not a real experience. It's a false experience. It's not based on fact. And he went on to argue that really it's used by the rich to keep the workers down. In other words, they promise heaven and uh, people will not want any too much. They're willing to live in dire conditions if they get something after they die. That's uh, the basic argument of Marx. Pie in the sky when you die. Now, let me say, I believe in such a pie. I do. And that pie is based on the resurrection. There is pie in the sky for the believer. You see, it's not just hoping for pie in the sky. If there is pie in the sky, yippee, great. That's going to be marvellous. Now, I'm going out for a meal, an Easter meal, uh, after this uh, service, and uh, with my dear wife and Aunt Sarah, who lives with us, and I differ from my wife in eating, and when we go out for food. I like two courses, and she likes two courses, but we differ. I can eat a first course, maybe some soup, as it was in Wales, or a salad, and then the main thing is the dinner itself. That's the main event. When it comes to Gwen, she doesn't look at the main event first. She looks at the dessert. So she's wondering about what to eat by starting with the dessert menu. And, you know, we, we see today where, what happens. For me, the main course is the meat and veg. Yes, that's what I like. For Gwen, she's willing just to work her way through that, take some home or whatever. The main course is dessert. Dessert in the cheesecake factory. You can put on weight by looking at the cheesecakes there. You can automatically. Even I'm tempted in the cheesecake factory. But the point I want to say is this. For the believer, you can illustrate it any way what you like. Gwen will say, heaven is dessert. I will say, heaven is the main dinner. Now we're having soup. The point I'm trying to make is this. We have something now as well as then. Our appetites have been changed now as well as then. I don't 
think I've ever quoted Muhammad Ali before, but I am going to these odd people I'm quoting this morning. Uh, but there we are. You don't, you don't want no pie in the sky when you die. You want something here on the ground while you're still around. Typical Ali. Typical Ali. Great, great master of words. But you know, I want them both. I'm sorry, I want them both. And if they're both true and I can have them, I'm going for it. I'm going for it. One doesn't cancel out the other. For the believer, becoming a Christian, being united with Christ, means an inner resurrection now. Now. I became a Christian when I was 17. 1974. Seems a long time ago. 1974. And my life changed very suddenly. I realised that now I had new desires. At 17, I wasn't a big reader, for instance. I'd, I'd given up on reading. But now I wanted to know more about Christianity. So suddenly, my desire was for the Bible. I tried to read the Bible before I couldn't get anywhere with it. Didn't read. I went to chapel all my life and I couldn't get anywhere with it. But when I experienced Christ, one of the things that happened to me, I couldn't put the Bible down. I read it cover to cover in a few months. I wanted to know. My desire was that. I saw things that I'd never seen before. Everything seemed to come together. Things clicked. It was as if I was blind, but now I could see. I had a new appetite for worship, for prayer. A new appetite. In other words, in 1974, I had my first course. And I'm still on my first course. And I'm looking forward to my pie in the sky as well. But you know, Christianity is now as well as then. I love hot curries. I'm very thankful to certain people in the congregation for making hot curries that I tried in the bridge uh, the other day. That, that hot curry was absolutely marvellous. And actually, I went out, was it yesterday or the day before? I can't remember now, I get all mixed up. The day before, uh, no, whatever. And I went, I went, because I had curry on my mind. Once I get curry on my mind, I've got, got to have a curry. So I went to a, a, one of my favourite um, uh, restaurants, an Indian restaurant, and I asked, I shouldn't have done it, I'm stupid. Um, I thought, give me the hottest vindaloo you've got. Now, I love vindaloo and I can eat anything, I really can. Man alive, I tell you. That was, whoa, it got me. It was a challenge to eat it. Oh, it was joy, though. It was joy. I've got an appetite for curry. Now, Gwen doesn't have an appetite for curry. She sweats if she sees me eating curry. All right, she can't, it's not a scene. But in what sense, you see, the Christian has been given that new appetite. Not for curry. But for God, and spirituality, and reality, I tell you what I'm looking forward to in May. Fish and chips. Real British fish and chips. 
All my life, I've eaten British fish and chips. Oh, fantastic. And this week, there was an article in the New York Times about British fish and chip shops. How about that? And this was the article. The cost of fish and chips rises in war economy and the UK feels the bite. I thought that was quite funny. And the thing is, the price of fish and chips is now really going up because of what's happening in the world. And uh, the, the estimation is that of the 10,000 chippies, we call them chippies uh, in Britain, of the 10,000 chippies in Britain, 3,000 might close because people aren't buying the fish and chips because they're so expensive. Chippies started in about the 1860s, continued as a main source of food. And I love it. I absolutely, I have an appetite for fish and chips, British style. And I hope they don't all close down in the next two weeks, unless I will be devastated. That's my appetite. I haven't got to eat fish and chips. You know, when I get back there, people tell me, oh, you should be eating fish and chips now. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. I want to. You try and stop me. Fish and chips and mushy peas. Oh. The, it, it looks terrible. Mushy peas really look bad. It's a green, gooey thing. All right. Oh. But I tell you, mushy peas with the chips and the cod or place and hot, not hot sauce, uh, brown HP sauce over that with bread and butter and a big mug of tea. It's fantastic. I think I'm off. I'm going to go now. <laughs> Forget this sermon. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is this. Nobody makes me eat fish and chips. And I want to say nobody makes me want to be a Christian. I want to. I experience it. Do I experience it perfectly? No. Do I blow it? Yes. Time and time again. Are there down times? Yes. Are there up times? Yes. They're all there. But it's about a resurrected appetite. When I was a child, I loved adventures. I was talking about it earlier in the, in the Bible class. I loved adventures. Anything from adventure. And my imagination was always running wild. So I could cross a field and, and go into what is called wild rhubarb and think I was Tarzan in the Tarzan movies of the 1930s. Fantastic. Having an adventure. Adventures. Going out in those days, you could go out in the morning and be out all day and you know your parents wouldn't worry about you. Wouldn't worry about you. And we'd go in a gang climbing trees and jumping over rivers and doing all these sort of things and discovering things maybe we should... Going places we shouldn't even go. But it was an adventure. And very simply, sometimes church and Christianity for many people is not an adventure. It's not something that challenges them. They've given up, they've settled down. 
That, that, that word, I, I remember, I, I was single for a long time, until I was 47. And uh, I often had uh, people coming up to me and telling me, oh, you need to settle down. You need to settle down. Well, marrying Gwen wasn't like settling down. I, that's most definite, okay? But I don't want to settle down. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? There are new adventures. There are new places to go. There are new desires that Christ gives. And that is based on resurrection. Some of you think, my soul is dead. I want to remind you, today is Easter Sunday. Your soul might feel dead, but God can resurrect. He can't. He's proved it. Christ is the first fruits. So today I want to encourage you. I don't want you to just hope, but hope because there is hope. We celebrate today what Christ has done so that one day we too can have that second resurrection, the first of the spirit, the second of body. May God open our hearts and touch each and every one of us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a reason to believe. Help us, O oh God, to believe with all our hearts so that we will experience what you have promised. Give us adventures, O oh God, in the Spirit, we pray, through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.